Seventeen, a warm welcome to any of you joining us in our worship service. If you're not necessarily a part of Wallace, we're very, very grateful that you've joined us this morning and trust it would be a tremendous encouragement to you. You'd meet the Lord in his grace and mercy and love today. We're working through 1 Peter, and uh, this morning's text is 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is Jeopardy! Welcome, I'm your host, Michael Scher. We're so grateful you've turned in, tuned in this morning. Our first category is Citizenship, remember that your answer must be in the form of a question. Citizenship for $100. This people group makes the very best citizens in their society. Answer, who are followers of Jesus Christ? Correct. Citizenship for $200. Followers of Jesus Christ willingly submit to authority due to their enjoyment, ironically, of this quality. Answer, what is freedom? Correct. And citizenship for $300. Tragically, this happened to multiple generations of Christ lovers who were intentionally careful to love everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Answer, what is unjust, maligning, and persecution? Correct. If you were able to get the answers to those Jeopardy questions, it is likely because you understand that through many generations, followers of Jesus have lived this text that is before us. They've taken it seriously. They've sought to honor God by obeying this text. What is this text? It is fundamentally a caution predicated on an affirmation. The affirmation is, you're free. Peter's caution is, use your freedom as a servant of God, not yourself. So let's unpack the text with those two categories. First, the affirmation. You are free. It's verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Followers of Jesus are free. They are liberated from the endless, pitiful, other alienating struggle of self-service into the enormous privilege of serving God. Think about it. Where are a servant's eyes focused? not on themselves. They're focused on those that they serve. 
And that's why you see the language in this text and a few verses down of Peter's profound God focus. Peter writes, for the Lord's sake. And he'll go on to say, mindful of God, a glorious thing in the sight of God. These verses reflect a servant's God orientation. The heart of one whose first impulse is bringing glory to God. So you'll probably find it a struggle to relate well to difficult people, whether you're neighbors or governors or people in authority, without first framing those relationships around God's kindness to you and God's glory. Peter is saying that freedom is a powerful force in the life of a follower of Jesus, and he doesn't mean the freedom that our democracy brings in America, as good as that is. Americans tend to crave the freedom to do whatever they want, right? No shackles, no boundaries. It's Southwest Airlines. You're now free to move about the country. That, that strikes a chord in us. Or how about an Outback Steakhouse? No rules, just right. Oh, except in the kitchen when they're preparing your food, you do want them to obey the rules of food safety. What modernists call virtue, being the captain of your own ship, the master of your own fate, the Bible calls foolishness. Because when you live that way, you're never able to rise above whatever passion happens to rule in your heart at any moment in time. Biblical freedom is the power to serve and delight in God more than yourself. Never experienced that? <laughs> it's a freedom enjoyed by Christ followers all over the world, irrespective of their governments. We're set free by the gospel at a number of different levels. You can see on the handout what I've listed. We're set free from the law. The burden of establishing our own perfect righteousness without which we won't see a holy God. This righteousness has been earned by Jesus. He's our righteousness. He has given a holy God in heaven all the obedience that you'll ever need to make a claim on his presence. It's all found in Jesus. We're free from that burden. We're free from sin. If by faith we're united to Jesus Christ and we have a new heart, no longer is sin our taskmaster. We don't have to sin. We're free from its tyranny. Followers of Jesus are free from condemnation. The promise of the gospel is the moment you trust Jesus to be right with God, God will forever treat you as if you have done everything Jesus has done. Jesus has kept the law of God perfectly. Jesus has died to pay the penalty of the law on the cross. All of those things are your gifts before your Father who is in heaven. So we are not struggling to be free. We're free to struggle, to be frail. Do you give your spouse, for example, space to be weak, to be broken, to be imperfect? If you understand the gospel, you will. 
And followers of Jesus are free from fear, from the unknown. They trust that a loving Father is absolutely in control of everything, working his purposes for our lives. The grace of Jesus sets us free. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to lose. You're no longer seeking to find your worth in what you do, who you are, what you produce, how much you make, how you look, your nationality. No, those are all transient. You find your worth in the unshakable person of Jesus who lives, who reigns, whoever prays for you, who is friend of sinners. Your worth is nothing less than you have been adopted into the family of God and he is your father. And just as Jesus at his baptism heard the words, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, that is true of all who belong to Jesus. You are a beloved son or daughter of God. God is pleased with you. Now you put that all together. That means freedom, therefore, is the ability to fulfill the purpose for which you're created. You're free to live as God intended you, even in trying circumstances. So the freedom followers of Jesus enjoy somewhat mirrors the freedom Adam and Eve had before the fall. You are now free through Christ, through the power of the gospel, through living in his resurrection. You're free to enjoy God's presence through obedience. You're free to bear God's image in the world as the Spirit works in you. You're free to serve God's purposes wherever he has planted you. And you're free to bless others with the resources entrusted to you by God. And exactly how does uh, freedom function for Peter's readers? Well, in verse 16, Peter is saying, don't parry this freedom into license, into sinning. Live as people who are free. There's the affirmation. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Again, you are free to serve God and others not yourself. So that means you read this text and you won't say this. It doesn't matter what I do, I'm forgiven. I'm forever forgiven by Jesus. It doesn't matter what I do. No. The watching world, unbelievers need to see what righteousness looks like in the life of those who claim the name of Jesus. So you can't say, it doesn't matter what you think of me. I can do whatever I want. No. Unbelievers need to see Jesus revealed in your life. And you can't think this way. Well, if you malign me, I'll treat you like trash. No. We have grace to treat those who malign us the way God in his mercy has treated us in the gospel. So, beloved, you're at liberty, you're empowered, you're filled with grace and love to serve God by blessing others, namely giving them what they are due. And this is verse 17. Peter says, think of the spheres in which you live. It's all comprehensive. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Christians get a special love from you. Fear God. Reverence and esteem the Lord God above all things, and honor the emperor. So you'll 
look like a person who honors those in the position God has put them with courtesy and respect, you'll actually make their job more enjoyable to do. You'll be desirable to be around. Your opponents will likely conclude something like this. We may not agree on worldviews and religion, but you make it so attractive, I wonder if it's true. You sound like someone, you follower of Jesus, that God's been merciful to because you're not harsh and demanding like other people. You resist making everything all about you. So, beloved, do you see that how you treat others is your way of glorifying God and serving him. Jesus said, as much as you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. Yesterday, Janice and I came out of the grocery store. It was really hot. We had frozen things we needed to get in the car. And this lady, older lady, followed me out with her shopping cart. She saw my shirt and she said, well, how's your school going to do in sports this year? I didn't really feel like engaging her. And she kept talking and following me and I kept giving short answers and turning to my car, and I did my best to be polite, but basically blew her off. I realized later in the day, I was treating Jesus that way. Yeah, I had good excuses. It was hot. We had frozen food that needed to get home. But I treated Jesus in the way I treated that older woman. That's the affirmation, you're free. Here's the caution. Use your freedom to submit to civil authority. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When you honor authority as a fellow citizen, you put a muzzle on the mouths of those who would malign you because you prove to be model citizens. You're communicating the civil law applies to me too. I'm not above the law. We may not agree on religion, but as a fellow citizen, we're in this thing together. So why do followers of Jesus make model citizens? The answer is because they understand the function of the state, Christians fulfill their responsibility to the state. Let's tease out those two things then. Christians fulfill their, they understand the function of the state. I want to show you several things. And here we're supplementing Peter with the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans chapter 13. How is the state to function? We see first that civil government is established by God. Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Second principle, God establishes civil government to promote good and to punish evil. You see that in our text in verse 14, governors sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And you see that echoed in Romans 13.3 and 4. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, 
for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Simple illustration. You never have to fear getting a speeding ticket if you do what? You go the speed limit. You don't have to fear the IRS knocking on your door, throwing you in jail for tax evasion if you do what? You pay your taxes in a lawful way. Simple illustration. You don't have anything to fear. When you're speeding, you fear, oh, is there a radar out there? Am I going to get caught? God has given to the secular government the power to punish wrongdoers. It raises the question, what happens when governments fail to do what God's called them to do? It's a really good question. I'm not going to answer it now. Serious Bible-believing Christians have various opinions on that, even whether or not the American Revolution was a legitimate one. I'm not going there with you this morning. But serious Christians, Bible-believing Christians, disagree on some of those issues. Third principle, the civil magistrate is God's servant, having the right to rule by force, if necessary, and the responsibility to rule justly. That's why Jamie prayed earlier in the service that our government would rule justly. And the fourth principle, therefore, rebellion against the civil order is rebellion against God. Romans 13, 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. I think there's a little teaser here to look in your heart and to ask yourself, what might be going on in my heart that I need to resist authority? Kids, whether it's your parents, athletes, whether it's your coach, citizens, whether it's those in government. I wonder if in my heart there is an inbred resistance to any rule that needs to be conquered. There is. And this is what King Jesus has come to do by his spirit. More on that in a second. But Christians are, okay, so now let's look at responsibility. Christians are model citizens. They understand the function of government and they understand their responsibility vis-a-vis -vis the government. They are called first to submit. Verse 13, be subject to every human institution. Paul writes in Romans 13, beginning at verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom who are taxes. You remember the incident in the Gospels. Jesus had Peter pay his taxes. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We're to comply with the state statutes even when those rulers are unjust. Peter's writing at a time when Nero is the emperor. He and a succession of emperors in Rome were particularly cruel to Christians. And yet it is Peter and Paul writing this fundamental subjection. We have, secondly, a responsibility to resist the government. Our submission is never blind. Followers of Jesus must resist the government, never comply with the state. If it forces you to disobey God, or it forbids obedience to God. God is the one you ultimately honor. The state cannot force you to disobey. It cannot keep you from obeying. And you see case studies this in the Bible from the Hebrew midwives to Rahab, Daniel, and in the New Testament. Very clear example early on in the book of Acts, the disciples are told by the religious authorities to stop preaching the gospel. They would not obey that. That would have been would have been against the command of God. 
Peter himself, Acts 5.29, said, we must obey God rather than man. One of the first uh, acts of civil disobedience in the New Testament. Thirdly, we have a responsibility to pray. Jamie prayed this morning based on this text in 1 Peter 2. First of all, Paul writes, Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're praying that the government ensure we have this kind of life, religious freedom. We pray that the government ensures we have the freedom to not only be Christians, but to speak to others about Jesus Christ. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, Peter slides right into the gospel from praying that leaders would give us the ability to lead a certain godly, dignified life. Pray, as we did this morning. Seek to be leavened in political structures. Do what's in your power to see that the state conforms to the principles of what is right and just. Run for office. Write your congressman. Do the lawful kinds of things that our blessed republic allows us to do. Did you know that the PCA itself, under the domain of Mission to North America, has a specific ministry called Ministry to State? One of our own, Chuck Garriott, is uh, involved in that ministry right here in the District of Columbia in our backyard. Here's what must be done. Believers walk a fine line between healthy, good involvement in the public square as individual believers and resist using the government to, as a vehicle to usher in the kingdom of God. That's the fine line. Be involved, be a good citizen, and yet have no aspirations that the government would usher in the kingdom of God. Christ will not have his cause be identified with any government or any one political party. He refused to wield his kingdom as a political reality. Some of the Jews wanted to make him king over their land. He'd have none of it. He told Peter to seize the sword. He told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, I'd be fighting. So think of the subtle differences, beloved. Governments can and should ensure basic freedoms for human beings but they can't save people from their sins. Governments can and should enforce righteous laws, but governments can't make people righteous. Governments can and should provide safe havens for people to practice holiness, but there is no government on earth that can conform you to the image of God. In short, governments can't change hearts. Only the king of glory can. What about your heart specifically needs changing? I want you to think of sin this way. I want you to think of sin as wielding your sword, your will against God's law, 
so you can rule yourself. Sin is essentially self-rule, self-indulgence, self-determination, self-pleasure. And human beings are born with a sword in their hands, insisting on that on their own terms. There's only one power on earth that can break that false sense of authority and freedom we have. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he establishes his kingdom on earth and in rebellious hearts by grace, and he extends it by grace. Jesus doesn't conquer human hearts by wielding the sword of justice. Jesus conquers human hearts by taking the sword of justice into his own body on the cross for our sins. All the penalty due you and me for our rebellion against God, our self-rule, our insistence on ourselves over God, all of that penalty Jesus asked his father to thrust into his body and remove on the cross. He went under the sword of justice. And there was a justice on the cross where if all of your sins have been paid for, you are free from the guilt and the penalty and the punishment of sins. You're free. Christ came to set us free to know God forever, to be accepted by God and so Jesus melts our hearts under the weight of his love, his mercy, his compassion, his service to us by doing for us what we could never do, living perfectly in our place and dying and suffering ex ex unspeakable torments of persecution on his cross to love us into submission to his rule. Those of you who know Jesus loves you, you love him. And that makes you want to submit to his rule. And then Jesus forms a community of people, like-minded people, where that community has the privilege of modeling to the watching world joyful submission to Jesus because of his amazing love. And that love then births values, kingdom values, that can't be found anywhere else on the world. They can seek to be fabricated and replicated, but kingdom values because they are of the Holy Spirit. They're of the power of the Spirit. They're not political power. They're not released by pulling a lever in a ballot box. They're released by Christians praying out of desperation. May my heart be filled with the spirit of Jesus. And he creates a community that is incredibly attractive. And that's serious about being at peace with one another. It is why we all must engage with Paul Cornwell Saturday in the seminar, Sunday morning in the Sunday school hour, the sermon next week, and he'll have a follow-up the following Wednesday. All the details have been emailed to you. We'll do it again we must engage with Paul. There's too much at stake. The glory of Jesus, the great peacemaker, will become evident as we find peace and reconciliation with each other. Let me pray for us to that end. Thank you, our Father, that we live in a land where the government 
allows us to speak freely of your Christ. How wonderful. We do take this for granted. How many hundreds of thousands of millions of believers do not have this privilege when they woke up this morning? As Jamie prayed earlier, have mercy on them, meet them where they are. We pray you would replace bad governments in this world with good ones, please, that human beings not suffer the way they do. Be with your suffering and persecuted people. And let us not use our freedom as any license for anything but serving you by serving one another with peace and self-sacrifice and humility and other-centeredness with the grace of Jesus flooding our hearts and his kingdom's glory capturing our imagination. We pray in his name. Amen. Jesus is king. We should rejoice. Hymn 310, stand if you are able.